This is the Positive Psychology Podcast, episode 97. Welcome to the Positive Psychology Podcast, bringing your earbuds the science of the good life. And now your host, Kristen Trumpy. All right, today we're going to talk about yoga and that it's so much more than what we usually think of it, uh, what it is. And I've got Jessamine Stanley with me. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Kristen. I'm happy to be here. Now, I love when people introduce themselves in their own words instead of just reading down boring web copies. (laughs) (laughs) Would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm a yoga teacher and a writer, and my focus has been on body positivity and fat positivity, fat acceptance, and really understanding and loving your body as a vehicle for using it to be of service to others. And my yoga practice has led me into teaching, and so that's sort of what people think of whenever they see me and especially whenever they read my book, Everybody Yoga. But in my mind, I'm really just a practitioner. I'm still just, you know, I I get on my mat every day for the same reasons that anyone else would to work through the damage and the trauma and the um, and the 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 boundaries that make it difficult to be present on a day to day basis. And so as much as I would say that you know, I'm known as a teacher and a writer. I'm really just a yoga practitioner. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, and a good writer. Um, I just want to add that. Um, I appreciate there, there are quite a few sentences. Oh, I should have sent you a picture of the book. It's actually see like all the reading notes that I have in there, little <laughs> sticky bit things. Um, so before we get into that, um, what what's striking when you pick up the book Everybody Yoga is obviously that you don't look like, as you put it yourselves, um, yeah. Katie Holmes from Dawson's Creek, a reference which I <laughs> appreciated a lot. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yes, no, like, oh, um, good old, old Joey Potter. I'm like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's funny because I did not. Um, you know, I never expected to be a yoga teacher. It was not a goal of mine. And I think that a lot of that has to do with the fact that I do look so different than how people typically view a yoga practitioner. When you think of a yoga teacher or just anyone doing yoga, you're usually thinking of a white cisgender heterosexual woman who is um, slender bodied, who is, you know, she has a certain amount of money. She has the time to practice yoga. And I am not any of those things. I am fat and black and queer and very much, um, you know, kind of against the grain of what we typically think of for a yoga practitioner. But because of that, I realized that as much as it may seem like I look different, I really represent so many people who have never seen themselves um, represented in the yoga world. And as much as I'm like, kind of, the black sheep of the yoga world, I really feel like I actually represent the majority of the yoga world, if that makes any sense. So yeah, definitely different. Definitely. It makes total sense. It reminded me, I saw a TED talk. I'm not sure. I don't remember the name of the lady, but basically she was talking about 
um, coming out and she just basically said like look you're looking at me um, if you're a heterosexual and you're thinking like oh I'm touching a story but the truth is we all have some kind of closet that we kind of need to go through a journey to get out of it and mm. um, and I think your overall message of the book kind of reminded me a little bit of that as well yeah that's a really profound way to um to express it because I think that many people sort of see themselves as problematic because they find that there are parts of themselves that don't echo the media's um kind of depiction of humanity so that if you have if you have internalized body dysmorphia, if you have, um, if you're dealing with some kind of emotional trauma, if you have, if these things have happened to you, then because of this, you know, kind of perfect trope that society has made for all humans, if you feel different, then you're like, it's like, there's something wrong with me. There's something that I need to, to change. And that is that to me is like the biggest closet that we're all sitting in that this idea that <clears throat> that our perceived miss um or our perceived lack of perfection is what makes us different when really that's what makes us all the same and the thing that i've really noted from traveling with this book across the country and talking to so many people who are completely different from one another, who are completely different from me, and yet feel as though everybody yoga is telling the story of their life. And it's not because everyone has had the same experiences that I've had or everyone looks like me. It's because everyone feels different. <laughs> everyone feels like there's something that they need to resolve. Yes, there's a part, um, one sentence, um, I mean, there are several sentences that I enjoyed, but one of them that I wrote out was that you said, everybody's body starts out at its own definition of weak, whether that weakness is physical, mental, or emotional. Um, that, that was, that, that, I found that really so good, because what I see in, in my work is that we constantly kind of think like, we're some special case, because I have this, or I have that. But the truth mm. is, even even if you're, you know, I don't know, Channing Tatum or someone who's like yeah. ridiculously fit, but there are some exercises or some sport under the stars that even he will take a while to learn. And yes, he will probably learn it faster than than 99.9% .9 of everybody else. But, but at the end of the day, he also starts with a weakness and then kind of works on it. And I really appreciated that, that you kind of say like, look, the starting point for us is all is all kind of where we feel maybe weak or it's a it's a humble place to start and i really like that you know absolutely and i feel like um it's when you were saying that i was just thinking man and if only being good at sports or being immediately like perfect at at every physical activity if only that could fix all of our internalized problems yes. because i i feel like we live in a world where you know your happiness is kind of equated with becoming the idea of perfect and a huge part of that perfection um is based in our physical bodies and and in the way that we take care of our physical bodies and there's a very distinct uh assumption that if you have the perfect body if you have you know if you're very athletic 
that will translate to being happy. That will translate to, to being strong and powerful. And that's just not the way it works. And, and I think it's very interesting because working in the wellness field, I feel like I'm constantly surrounded by people who are touting themselves as being, you know, perfect or being uh, something that should be idolized. And, and then when you get down to the root of it, these people with rock hard abs and, you know, who can do one finger handstands and they deal with the same insecurities and struggles as any other human being. And it's just, it's so funny though, because we think it's the opposite. That is true. That is so true. Um, You talk a lot about the fact that yoga is really famous for the postures, um, but that it's actually so much more. So um, would you elaborate a little bit on that? What yoga was originally actually meant to be? Yeah, it's very interesting because in the West, everyone has an assumption or not an assumption, but everybody understands that yoga is about the poses so that whenever people say, you know, oh, I have such a strong yoga practice or I love yoga so much. Frequently, there's they're really saying I love going to yoga class. I love um, I love practicing these postures that make me feel strong and and balanced and that make my body feel really good. But our body the physical body is just one piece of who we are as human beings. And in order to really connect with the deeper questions that are sitting within every single human being, you can't just be solely focused on the physical poses because that is such a small component ultimately. And really yoga, it means to yoke. It means to bring the, the, the different parts of ourselves together and the practice is really at its strongest when a person is able to sit in silence, listening to only their own thoughts, not not focusing on the thoughts of other people, not trying to think about um, other other tasks or anything. Whenever you're able to just sit with yourself and exist and it is possible to achieve that through yoga poses to get to that kind of calm and clarity, but it's not just about the poses. And I think that for a lot of yoga practitioners, myself included, the yoga poses and, you know, the, the athletic yoga classes that are so popular in the West, those are kind of a gateway drug to getting into yoga. But I think that when anyone really starts to deepen their practice, they see that the reason you keep coming back to the mat has nothing to do with the poses. The poses, you could stay in childhood child's pose the whole class you could stay um you could just sit quietly with your legs crossed the entire time and just being able to get to a place where you are genuinely okay with yourself that's really the point so it's very important for me to kind of emphasize that because I think that when we focus so much on the physical postures, it pulls away from the actual purpose so that people, it can just kind of turn into an exercise trend. You know, like when people tell me that they've tried yoga once or twice and then now they don't really care about it. I'm like, I totally get that because I, if I, if I just thought that yoga was about exercise, I would not be doing this. Like I would not still be teaching like this or, or practicing in this way. And, and I think that it's really important to remind people that it's so much more than just the physical. 
one thing you mentioned was that a practice is there for us, and I completely um, recognized and agreed with it, but I think that that might be a notion that's not necessarily that widespread. Um, mm. So can you maybe elaborate on that a little bit? Like how the practice is, um, it's something that we carry with us. I mean, it's something that changes. So, so I think that people, let's say that you start practicing yoga and someone um, introduces you to Ashtanga yoga. Ashtanga yoga is a very specific style and the, the practice requirements are very, very explicit. And it's the sort of thing where, you know, you that may become your only idea of practicing. But as you get older, as your body changes, maybe as things happen to you, maybe you have children, maybe you're in a car accident, maybe you are dealing with an, in, uh, an illness, maybe, maybe your body changes in a permanent way. That may not continue to be, that Ashtanga practice may not continue to be the practice that is perfect for you. But that doesn't mean that your yoga practice will end. That the practice is bigger than any one particular style. It's bigger than any one particular teacher or studio location or um, time of the day or duration. That it's something that grows and morphs and changes as we all grow and morph and change, because if there's one thing that is constant about humans, it is change, that we're constantly evolving. And it's really important to see that the practice is something that you carry along with you, that you wear, that changes, and that you allow to to change and to move with you so that it can continue to heal you no matter what's going on in your life. Because I think that, um, you know, sometimes we associate these athletic practices with only one specific time in our lives. And then if something happens to change our lives, we think, oh, I can't practice that anymore. I can't do that anymore. But this is more than that. This is something that will carry you through every single piece of your life. I'm so glad I asked because I, I interpreted it to mean kind of like that it's there for you as in, um, I think sometimes people want to or do rely on each other. On the one hand, that's a beautiful thing, but the reality is that we're not constantly surrounded. We can't take our loved ones with us everywhere we go. So mm. for me, the the other, I kind of understood it like I for me the the role of music right so so we think about it well music yeah music is nice but it doesn't seem to be very important but to me like the fact that I've been listening to let's say Coldplay for 16 years they are with me when I'm freaked out in a plane and there's nobody else around because maybe I'm going to visit family somewhere else or you know what I mean so for me I kind of thought like the practice is there for you um, it's something you can always return to no matter what's happening in your life. Yeah, I think that's actually just like an extra sentence that could be added on to what I said. Like that's that's exactly it, is that it's something that, well, I love that Coldplay example because there's so, music is such a great way to, like a great comparison for this because when you have an artist, for me it would be Fiona Apple, when you have an artist that speaks to you at a specific time in your life and no matter where you are in your life, you can still come back. Like I can always go back to title the Fiona Apple album and always that album speaks to me just as much now as it did when I was 16. And it's the same thing, you know, I think that, um, 
I think that we don't kind of expect to have that kind of profound connection with something that is so directly connected to our physical bodies. And, um, but I mean, when you look at people who run, like who have been runners their entire life and they started running when they were children and then maybe ran in high school and college and then continue to run through adulthood and maybe they run into their 60s, 70s, 80s. It's that same kind of thing. You come back to this, really it's just a connection to something that is true, to something that you know to be true. And um, I mean, even just like using, what's that? The first Coldplay album, Parachutes, there's some songs on that album that are so beautiful and they withstand time. They are they are not because it's not about a specific time period or a specific person. It's about it is about so even just the song Parachutes is about the most pure of human emotions. And I think that's why we come back to it, because it's something that that we know to be real, unequivocally real and true. Yeah, and I think one more important thing that, that I would like to add to this is that what, um, this is not a question about, well, do you care about um, things like that or people? It's just, you can you can have both. And I feel that at some time, sometimes in your life, um, maybe people are a little bit more difficult to come by who you can feel such a profound connection with. But if you have a practice which you can return to again and again and again, you have artists you have movies you have like all these different outlets to feel a true connection i think that's that's a, a game changer that we don't really talk about too often it really is and um you know one of the things that i talk about in the book um i tell a story about when i was um going through a difficult emotional time and it's the story is focused on you know, how we relate to one another and seeing yourself as a soul human being and not being caught up emotionally um, in the lives of others. But it was really rooted in some experiences that I had. And I I didn't go into that much detail about it in the book because I didn't want to um, expose my friends and family to, to more uh, t- to too much information about their own lives. But it was about how I have been very much defined by the people in my life and that I I define myself by my relationships with them. And that really so much of this experience is about stepping away from that and trying to understand who I am as a just solely Jessamine, no one else, no, not as a sister, not as a girlfriend, not as a coworker, not as a friend, just as Jessamine. And that even whenever I have to separate from other human beings, that my practice is still with me, that it's still there. And that's something that I think because we're all kind of coming from this mentality of needing to be defined, even just as a child, even as the child of another human being. But when you start adding in the different roles that we play for one another, whether it's husband, wife, you know, caretaker, mother, father, all these roles that are so big and they take over every single piece of ourselves and they are directly related to other human beings. It's hard to define ourselves without those other beings so that when they're not there and especially if especially if they leave our lives for devastating reasons whether you know the most 
obvious being death, that it is so difficult to move beyond that. And especially in those situations, and I found this in my own life, that that's when the practice is so key because it is always there for you, um, regard come what may. In, um, in psychology, when, when they researched spirituality, basically what they found was that that people who had already invested in spirituality, it was really helpful. Um, but there's like this little conundrum where it's like a lot of people don't care about a lot of things until they need it the most. But then they, <laughs> then they haven't really put the effort in so that it can reward you in the way that you need. <laughs> What was that laugh? <laughs> Recognition. No, that's just so real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so that I think that's also an important thing that I, I always animate people to, if you're feeling like okay or even good in your life, by please, for the love of God, start something like this. Because the, the more you've done it, the more resources you have and the more yoga can give back to you. Um, I would imagine that's true for yoga as well, the way it's true for spirituality or also um, the other thing I'm thinking about is creativity um, mm -hmm. is kind of the same thing. Now, something that I'm wondering about is that you have, for example, a sequence where you said, like, this is for self-love. Now, now I'm obviously coming from psychology. I'm kind of trying to make connections between between the notions that you're talking about, uh, self-love and, and the physical. But can you help me understand a little bit more how, like, a particular sequence of movements can help you um, basically kind of work on self-love? It's very interesting because I think that um, the sciences kind of pull us away from these like very, it seems like kind of esoteric and weird. Like how can these shapes make you feel a certain emotion, you know? And I, it's just very funny to me because I live in a bubble of esoteric. <laughs> I'm like, if you say something that sounds like off the wall to me, I never, I don't ever think anything is off the wall. I'm like, oh, that's totally, you know, anyway, I'm just having a moment of like, wow completely different mental starting points. So there are many different pieces of our physical body that are directly connected to um, our emotional body as well. And if you are holding in, you know, kind of the stress and strain of life and holding on to certain emotions or experiences that doesn't just show up in your emotional body. It shows up in your physical body. And so often whenever we are feeling closed off to the world or when we're feeling like we can't generate any kind of positive feelings for ourselves, that can be directly connected to our posture and the way that we're standing and or sitting. So if you are, for example, if you are feeling very closed off to the world and feeling like you can't, um, like you can't let love in, usually you could directly connect that to hunched shoulders and into being into not having your heart open so that Whenever we do a lot of heart opening postures, like, um, you know, maybe deep lunges with the arms wide open and the chest showering open or shoulder openers or um, uh, one of the poses, one of the first pictures in everybody yoga, I'm practicing a variation on Ekapada Raja Kapatasana, which is one legged king pigeon pose. The that particular variation is a mermaid variation and it is a very deep heart opener. When you open your heart up, 
it's not just opening your physical chest. It's literally opening your heart up so that you are more uh, sensitive to the emotions that you're closed off to whenever you're hunching. Another example of this would be in our hips. So our hips hold all of our fight or flight instincts. Anytime in life when we think like, you know, we're, we're mentally panicking and we can't, um, we can't decide what to do. We don't know which way to go. That just gets caught and trapped in our hips. And when we open the hips for many people, it's a very pain. It, it is perceived as a painful experience. Like a lot of men who are very good at strength-based yoga postures, like maybe handstanding or arm balancing, things like that. Those same men will cry in hip openers. They will be they will stop completely stop themselves because that kind of sensation of just allowing your body to melt open is a very vulnerable position to put yourself in. And I think that um, many people are surprised by how intense a hip opening can be. But whenever you are sitting in that hip, hip opener, especially if it's, you know, for one, one minute, five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, when you're sitting for long periods of time and, and maybe you're crying, maybe there's, um, maybe there's a, other responses that are coming out as well. You're releasing all of that, um, all of those, emotions, all of that fight or flight, the pain, you're able to let it go so that whenever you are able to walk away from that and your hips feel more open, yes, your hips do feel more open, but you have also unburdened and you've released. And it's something that it's directly connected to that physical experience. And, and I would say is almost impossible to get that kind of release without doing some kind of, some kind of open, that it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, sitting in a hip opener for an hour. But when we allow ourselves to let go, when we allow ourselves to be really passive and vulnerable, that it's not, it's ultimately not just about our physical bodies. It's about a lot more. Hmm. I've started um, yoga. What is that? Like, I don't know, it's like one and a half or two months ago and just very light light on um on it so i have an app and some days it's just five minutes and some days it's 25 minutes but i've been doing it every single day and i've been awesome. wondering about that because i i've been wondering about like i've heard like these stories of big like emotional release and stuff now i come from a completely different field but but i've done a lot of like work on myself and i've i'm just super curious like the opening experiences you told me about just now are they something that take time for people to experience or is it also possible that you're kind of that you have maybe released some of these things already so there's maybe less I don't know drama on the mat or something or like what do you have any idea <laughs> I think that I think that it takes kind of releasing a need to understand why it's happening. Mm -hmm. So I think that as long as you're saying like, well, when is it going to happen? How long is it going to take? People ask questions like this about all different parts of yoga, not just the releasing. Like, how long will it take for me to do a split? How long will it take for me to do a headstand? How long did it take you, Jessamine, to do X, Y, Z thing? Um, if I practice hip openers for this amount of time, will it happen? When you're up in your head so much about it, it's impossible to have that kind of release because you're not actually coming into a state of vulnerability. I think that when you do let yourself go, it's, there's no time frame for it. There's no, there's no, um, 
there's no agreement that it's definitely going to happen at a certain day on a certain time or during this one specific class or anything. It's all based on where you are in that moment on that particular day in your life. And there's so many factors at play. It's just really important to be kind of open to the mystery of it all. And I would say that I have never met a human being that practices yoga, regardless of their starting point. And we all have completely different starting points that has not had some kind of emotional release because of the practice. And that it may not be, I think that sometimes we kind of draw the lines with really with really dark markers about what the process should look like or feel like. So that, for example, if I'm saying, yeah, you're going to have this big emotional release, there's going to be crying. It's going to be in, in so intense that we all kind of get the idea of what that looks like for us. And then until that happens, it didn't happen. But that doesn't mean that it didn't happen. It just means it didn't happen the way that you think it should happen, which again is coming back to getting out of your head. So I, I really wouldn't put, a time frame on anything because it could happen the first time that you could pr- that you practice it could happen the hundredth time it might not ever happen the way that you think that it'll happen but just showing up for the work without expectation that's really the practice ultimately that's the practice yeah yeah no absolutely it's not like i'm sitting there thinking like when will it happen i mean the i've i've done like daily meditation for for a few years now as well so so I think that kind of helps and I don't have these expectations per se but I was just thinking like maybe some things need to happen like to take an analogy right when you learn to play the piano um it's physically impossible to kind of do independent things with your with your hands until it's not right and 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 but from that moment on the actual um learning starts like on a different level so i was more like do you kind of have to have a certain um comfort feeling so for example for me a lot about this is uh flexibility because that's the thing i've been playing you know soccer and and like all these muscle-based sports all my life so for me um yoga is really a lot about kind of the flexibility and i'm thinking like well maybe if it doesn't like, I'm not saying I'm torturing myself, but there's, if, if it's like maybe a little bit more comfortable, you can relax a little bit more and deal with the emotional stuff. And that's something that I had, for example, yesterday where for, for the first time, it's like, oh, the cobra was actually comfortable. And then suddenly you're able to experience other things than if you're just thinking like, wow, this hurts, <laughs> but I'm sitting with the hurt, but it hurts. <laughs> You know, that is a really good point. I do think that if you are properly supported in a pose or if you are, you know, really hitting the specific alignment points that it is possible to kind of understand it, to get to these deeper understandings of the self. But I don't think that that's directly connected to any specific strength or flexibility points. Because if you, like, as an example, in yin yoga, there's a lot of props that are used. And so, and it's, they're used so that you can stay in what seem to be pretty passive poses for long periods of time. And so in yin yoga, it's very typical to see people who maybe do not have a lot of 
hip flexibility or maybe don't have a lot of shoulder flexibility, but they sit in these postures with lots of support underneath them, blocks under the hips, blankets under the knees, maybe blocks under the chest, but maybe uh, straps surrounding the arms, wedges, bolsters, all kinds of things. And they may not be physically flexible, but because they are in a space where they're able to be vulnerable with themselves because really the vulnerability is so key. That's really what we're searching for. We spend so much of our lives trying to be strong and trying to project something other than who we actually are. And when we are in these places where we feel supported, where we know we don't have to worry, we don't have to think, we don't have to obsess. That's when the work comes. That's when the big releases come. So I do think that you're right about that, that there is something to kind of finding your own sense of comfort in a pose. But I don't think that that's directly connected to any kind of strength, flexibility or time. Right, right, right. Okay. So just to kind of come to the end a little bit now obviously if someone decides to go to class then i i think they just have to go right but if someone <laughs> says well i I'd, I'd like to do it at home you mentioned that that's um hard for some people and how would you recommend that people get started at home maybe Yeah, I mean, it's very difficult to start a home practice. That's definitely where my where my yoga practice flourished was at home. And um, I, like I fell in love with the practice in a way that I never had before when I started practicing at home. But I think that whenever you see somebody doing it at home, it looks a lot easier than it actually is. It's hard to tell yourself, I'm going to show up. I'm just going to start doing this today. You know, I got all this other stuff that I need to do. I have other responsibilities, but I'm going to start practicing yoga today. It's hard. And I think it's helpful if you remind yourself that even just rolling out the mat is awesome. That's great. But that's that's your big parade because actually getting onto the mat is the hardest part. So that once you get on the mat and you sit on the mat, you celebrate. You say, yes, I made it here. I'm doing it. And then because then maybe that's your whole practice is just showing up on the mat. Once you do show up on the mat, you may say, I'm just going to practice Shavasana, corpse pose. I'm just going to practice that today. That's going to be my practice. And you practice Shavasana. And then from there, you're like, you know, I could do a little shoulder opening. My body could use that. That'd be really nice. And, and then maybe that'll be my whole practice today. And you get into your shoulder opening and then you say, you know what? I would love to do some some sun salutations. I want to start to invite some fire into my body. And before you know it, you're practice, you're working on all kinds of poses. You're practicing for hours. And it's because you make it something that is not a responsibility. It's not a, um, it's not a chore. It's just something that you do for yourself and that you don't say, I have to do this every single day. Because if you do that, that's the key to not doing it every single day if you make all these rules about it. So if you just say, you know, I'm gonna try to get on my mat. I'll try to get on my mat for 30 minutes. 30 minutes quickly becomes an hour. An hour once a week turns into an hour two times a week. And then it grows from there. And I think that um, 
you know, it's really easy to set so many rules for ourselves and then be like, I can't follow all these rules. I can't do it. But this practice has no rules. So you want to make it as easy for yourself as possible. And I think that a great way to root a home practice is with online resources. What you said about this app that you're using, that's dope. I When I first started practicing yoga at home, I subscribed to Yoga Glow, which I still subscribe to. It's Yoga Glow, G-L-O. And Yoga Glow has thousands of yoga classes of varying durations taught by world-renowned teachers and from so many different styles. And there's so many different yoga resources on the internet right now, so many that don't cost money. There's YouTube, there's there's so many different things. And, and I think it's helpful if if you're able, if you have internet connection and all that, it's helpful to root it with online resources so that you have the feeling of being in the room with another person without actually having to be in the room with another person. And that really being practicing at home is so liberating because when we practice in a class environment, we're typically really distracted by the other people who are in the room. You're thinking about, you know, how other people are affected by the things that we're doing, whether or not they're going to be offended by the clothes that we're wearing. What if we fart? What if there's, you know, what if people think that we look weird? There's so many things. And then you're also obsessing over what the teacher is thinking of you. Maybe the teacher thinks that you're not advanced enough to be in the room. Maybe the teacher is going to be criticizing you. And these are all fears that I don't think anyone should have in, in a yoga context, but that are reinforced by the Western world. And so it's really important to remain conscious of that in a class environment and to try to separate you, the, this obsessive need to be like other people. But it's really easy to do that at home because at home, there's nobody there but you. So who cares if you fart? Who cares what clothes you wear? Who cares what your poses look like? You know, the teacher is there on the screen. They can guide you. You can mimic exactly what they're doing. It's exactly like if you were in a classroom environment, but it takes away the anxiety that comes along with classes. So I always really encourage people to build a home practice because even if you practice in studios, you could go to studios all the time. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't have a home practice. Nice. Good. So is there anything you would like to add before we wrap up? No, I feel like I talk so much. <laughs> I'm always saying things. I just, um, I guess what I would say is I want to encourage everyone to practice yoga um, because it is something that can carry with you throughout your whole life. And it's had an enormously positive impact on my own life. And it's something that I still turn to. I'm literally going to practice as soon as we're finished with this call. And I just hope that everyone can find that kind of relief for themselves. Thank you very, very much for this conversation. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Kristen. Have a wonderful day. You too. Thanks. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help us out by sharing it with your network and leaving a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. We would love to hear from you at Kristen at strengthphoenix.com. For show notes and more, head over to www.strengths.com phoenix.com Thanks for listening to the Positive Psychology Podcast. We're saying goodbye with Happy Yogurt.